Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. Whether you are transforming yourself, your team, your business, or your community, we'll connect you with insightful and challenging leaders who share their stories of successful transformations to give you practical ideas for your own journey. Join us for another insightful episode of Creating Synergy. So welcome uh, to Creating Synergy. Today we've got Ali Nitschke. Welcome, Ali. Thank you. So Ali, just a bit of background about Ali. She is a leadership coach and educator, facilitator and a speaker and she has many, many years in change management and leadership. So while most people instinctively avoid confrontation, Ali jumps right into it and she believes that confrontation and courageous conversations are central to getting results. She's worked with some of SA's iconic organizations and she knows what it's like to lead teams of over 120 people. She brings her expertise uh, through tough conversations uh, and she brings it right to the forefront, creating a culture of feedback, which is really important. Ali teaches people how to have courageous conversations and works with organizations to create courageous leaders. And you're on a mission, Ali, I hear. You're on a mission to change the way we perceive tough conversations. So can you go into a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, really excited to be here and I am on a bit of a mission to change the way that we talk at work. So as you mentioned, courageous conversations are totally my jam. I, I think we don't have enough of them. I don't think we are good enough at them. And I think if we can start mastering and cultivating the art of courageous conversations, then we can make some really impactful changes in the workplace, in our own lives, uh, to the way that we interact with our teams and uh, the way that the team performs. So, yes, I'm absolutely on a mission to get courageous conversations out there and mainstream. So what's your actual definition of a courageous conversation then? Yeah, really good question. So most people think that a courageous conversation is a, courageous, is a conversation that comes about from performance management and that's certainly one part of it. But there's also um, the other side of a courageous conversation which is perhaps uh, – a little bit less known, and that's around um, actually leaning into that discomfort. So a courageous conversation could be asking for a promotion. A courageous conversation could be standing up when you see something in the workplace that you don't agree with. It's any of those conversations where you feel a little bit icky on the inside. It makes you feel a little bit nervous. It's not just a natural conversation. It's something where you actually have to take, uh, take a bit of a plan in place and talk about it. Yeah. I like the bit about walking past and actually standing up. There's a quote by a, it was a general in the, in the army and he said the, the standard that you walk past is the standard you, you accept. And I reckon that's one that stuck with me for so long. Yeah, I think that's a really great quote and um, it is by general around the standard that you walk past and I think it's so true in the workplace and it's often disguised as the statement, oh, we've always done it that way or it's yeah. just the way that we do things here. And it doesn't necessarily have to be around a process, but it could actually be a bit of a culture thing as well. And Courageous Conversations really digs into, yeah, perhaps you have always done it that way, but we're not that way anymore or mm. we need to move and evolve. Uh, and Courageous Conversations addresses a lot of those issues. So, so why are they so difficult though? Like because you, you're on a mission to change people and the way they think uh, and the way they perceive conversations and and. I know you you delve a lot into Brene's work. I love Brene. And yeah. you delve into Kim Scott's work in Radical Candor. 
but and there are some really good tools out there to to build yourself and, and create courageous conversation well become better at crucial and courageous conversations but it's one of those things that I don't know you have to keep on trying and trying and trying again to get better at them is that right or is it because uh, that's the bit it always comes down yeah. to you, you you come the time that you actually have to have one you yeah. almost you know start backing away yeah so what I think it actually comes down to or what I teach that it comes down to is that people we go into this fight flight or freeze mode so we feel something that's a little bit uncomfortable a courageous conversation and we get scared or uh, you know go into fight or flight triggers from our amygdala um, we get a bit of dumb dumb brain which means we can't think about what it is that we need to be talking about mm-hmm. which then only feeds and fuels the fight flight or freeze um, response and what I like to do is actually break that down. So before we've even had any conversation, we've got this story or the head junk that we keep telling ourselves. Mm. So the stories that we tell ourselves, and Brene talks about this a lot. There's also a uh, nutritionist here in Australia, Dr. Libby. She talks a lot about this around the stories that we tell ourselves. And when it comes to a courageous conversation, what happens is we start telling ourselves a story about a scenario that we've conjured up in our head and then we respond based on the imaginative story that we've yes. made. So say you and I were having uh, having to have a, a tough conversation. In my mind, I've already played out the scenario and I've also conjured up your response and whether it's, you know, most people are scared of someone crying. Hopefully you don't cry on me. Um, <laughs> but if you do, you know, I've already responded and reacted based on what I think is going to happen in the situation, mm. which then makes me scared to have the conversation because I don't want to go through that story even though it's all fictional. So getting on top of your own head junk and getting really clear on what is fact and what is stories is the first step to uh, unpacking a courageous conversation and being able to be more effective at having them. So recognizing the stories. Oh, that that's a whole nother podcast right Isn't there. Because first and foremost, you need to understand the triggers that send you into that spiral, I guess, of when you start thinking about all the different scenarios. How do you stop yourself from getting to that point first? Well, I think the first thing is to actually recognize it. So one of my favorite questions to ask and one of the questions that I talk about with my clients is, you know, the the, the truth fact yourself. So is that true? Ask yourself a question mm. when you're about to have a conversation with someone or you can hear your internal monologue being like, oh, well, they're just such and such and such. They're lazy. They're not trying their best effort. And then go, well, is that true? which then pauses all of that thought pattern that's getting out of control. And then you can also start looking for, okay, evidence. Is it true? Well, I haven't actually seen it. And do they do it every time? Oh, no, there's been times where they haven't done that. And are they always like this? No, they're not always like that. So is that true is a good self-coaching question for uh, getting yourself on the right track. So how much do you buy? Was that aligned with the question that Brene asked everyone is, do you believe that this person is giving it their best? Ah, the best effort. Yeah. Is it aligned with it? Uh, I think it's a little bit different. So that line is around what you believe to be someone else's uh, behaviours or attitude or whatever yeah. it happens but to that's, be. Whereas could that the, be the story that you're telling yourself though that it could around be. Yeah. Their, their behaviours yeah. and the way they would act and the way that they uh, would perceive the way what you're going to say? Yeah, so a lot of it is the stories that you're telling yourself about the, the situation. So it could be um, they always try to make me feel bad well Mm. is that true do you always feel bad or are you always feeling put down or are they always running late you know that type of thing so that is it true the stuff that you're telling yourself is that true Mm. about your own yeah Yeah, is it true um and it's so good and i use it all the time even you know just in everyday life like you know you start to wonder your mind starts to wonder and then you go hang on a minute is that true and you start looking for better answers to your question 
with all the people that you work with in helping them have conversation with the leaders that you you work with in helping them have courageous conversation with their people does anyone ever come to you i'm really curious about this does anyone ever (laughs) come to you and say i need help having a courageous positive conversation like i need i I don't know how to provide good feedback yeah Uh, is that something that you get asked about because the negative stuff you know we kind of we all need some help with that but the positive stuff i think is if not more powerful. Yeah, sure. So certainly um, not so much around how do I do it as a courageous conversation, that the positive courageous conversation stuff is how do I ask for a promotion or how do I demonstrate that yeah. I've, I've got these skills and yeah. how do I talk to my boss about that or the next steps. Um, but certainly around giving feedback and giving effective feedback, you know, it's really easy to be like, oh, good job, or oh, we did really well, well done team, which is lovely. Like it's really nice to acknowledge, you know, people that have done good work and it's really nice to acknowledge teams that are are performing well. But unless you can be specific around what it is and that's where I do a lot of the work uh, with my clients is getting specific around what it is because there's no good me saying, oh, really well done. Really well done what? Like really well done sitting there, really well done in the tea room earlier today, really well done last week. But being able to specify, oh, the piece of work that you put together for the marketing team, for the board meeting, I love the way that you articulated these five paragraphs and that was really punchy. Can we do more of that? And then immediately you're like, oh, okay, this is specifically what was really good. Mm. I can just reproduce that as opposed to a broad, really well done that you're like. So clarity is key here. Clarity is key. The thing, the courageous conversation, I'll keep coming back to this because it's, it's ridiculously hard. No yeah. matter how many times you've had to have a conversation, and I get that it's a muscle, right? You, you build the strength and you become better. How do people? What What are some of the pitfalls that you see a lot happen a lot with some of the people you work with? Where Where are some of their stumbling blocks when approaching these these conversations? Yeah, I think the first one is uh, the biggest stumbling block, and you would come across this as well um, at GIQ, is that people go Whoop, performance management. I'm going to call HR rather than taking any sort of responsibility for themselves. So I think the first thing is you actually have to recognise it as leaders, part of your job. Uh, Courageous Conversations is 100% your duty or your duty of care for your people. And then the next one's definitely the stories that you keep telling yourself, you know, get, get a handle on those. And then the third thing is actually you have to lean into it. So Courageous Conversations, yes, they 100% feel uncomfortable. That's kind of the point. But recognising that that's why you're feeling uncomfortable and then being able to unpack the stories and take responsibility for yourself. You need to have courageous conversations Mm. if you want any kind of progress with your team. The more courageous that you are and the more frequently that you're having these conversations, a few things, you can solve a lot of your problems. So you might be having performance management issues, but the person that you're having the performance management issues with, your staff member, they might not have the self-awareness to know that that's what it is. So they could be completely naive to it. Mm. or you haven't been clear enough in explaining what the expectations are. So using courageous conversations that way to get clear on where you stand, you know, drawing a line in the sand. And it also gives you a lot more headspace as well instead of, you know, doing this half performance management and just the they should know that it's their job or they should know better. How about if they don't actually know better, like perhaps they are, Brene Brown, uh, giving it their very best effort and they just don't know any better. So you're wasting a lot of time and a lot of energy uh, trying to manage someone, but you haven't actually had a conversation with them about what it is. Mm. And most people want to do the right thing. They do. How much of pe- stopping people from having courageous conversations is based on their thoughts on how that person would react? 98%. It would be, wouldn't them? it? It'd be yeah. quite, quite high. I mean, even you see it in children, I guess they, 
they come out and say it. And my daughter says this quite a bit is I don't want to say anything to that person because I don't, they might get angry at me. So I guess the question to this is how much is it a skill? How much of a skill is it for the person receiving feedback as opposed to the person giving feedback? Yeah, when you're on the receiving end of mm. courageous conversations. It's uh, interesting that you say that. So I do some work with teams and I'm a big, big fan of prevention uh, rather than the cure for courageous conversations. Mm. So I think one of the best ways that we can prevent teams from spiralling down that sort of toxic workplace is by having regular feedback. And I'm talking feedback sort of as close to the incident as possible before it gets to an escalated um, situation of courageous conversations. And I think what people on the receiving end need to be open to, and this will only work if you've built the trust. Um, I know Brené's got a beautiful piece of work around the braving inventory. So, Mm -hmm. you know, coming up with the boundaries and going through that whole process with your team to build the culture within the team first. So and then, just, sorry, just touch on the, the boundaries piece a bit. Uh, the boundaries piece. So uh, Brene Brown has got a an activity that you can do. It's in her Dare to Lead book and it's mm. called The Braving Inventory. Yeah. And one of my most favourite parts, and I think this is where a lot of courageous conversation issues come from, is where she talks about boundaries. So quite often, and this is probably more personal life than uh, work life is we will get upset by something that someone says or does to us and it happens you know it happens all the time you walk away from the situation and 20 meters away you're like oh I could have I could have said this and I've got these five mm. really great comebacks and what about this point <laughs> and this point and this point but you didn't ever say it because you weren't thinking of it at the time yeah but the reason we don't recognize it at the time and have the ability to have those conversations is we haven't realized that that person has crossed a boundary okay. of ours Oof. Oof, oof. <laughs> pretty powerful. Um, it's pretty powerful stuff. So when you actually start recognising what your own personal boundaries are, and it could be as simple as another Brené thing, love her work, mm. is um, that's not okay with me or that's not okay, then you can sort of start recognising what it is that triggers your own response yeah. to when people cross your boundaries. Yes. Yeah. So That's awesome. Yeah, it's good. It's good you stuff. mentioned this is, not, this is more for home life. All right, I'm going to use me as an example and I'll get vulnerable here as, according to Brene. But if I'm in a job, in a, in, in a work environment, I should say, if I'm in my work environment and I'm required to have a courageous conversation with, with someone, I find the ability to step up and keep my emotions in check quite good. Yeah. I can do that. But at home, it's a completely different. Why is that? Why is there such a difference between at home and uh, in, in the work environment? Yeah, really good question. So this is why I don't do courageous conversations at home. I'm uh, not a psychologist to yeah. start with, but there's so much extra emotion, baggage, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So in work, we maintain this like level of professionalism. We build relationships based on what we want to share. You know, it's like the highlight reel yeah. of your career, the it highlight is. reel of your Instagram. People at work really only know what you've told them or what they've learned uh, in person. So you can be really vulnerable and uh, be open to those kinds of things or many people sort of keep their hat on, put their professional face on during during work hours. So at work you're kind of this certain persona and you've got relationships built at a particular level based on both having like a tiny little looking glass into the kind of person that you really are. Yeah. At home all the gloves are off. So you do get to have, you know, you've got the vulnerability. There's the safety net. Um, you know, I don't know if you're talking about your kids or your wife, but you're kind of in it 
you know, well, you just become long, so much more emotional. The long you know, haul. Yeah, you're, um, you're, I think I think you're right. There is a, an element of investment there, but I, I do run my own business, so I'm fully invested into that too. I, yeah, it's just the the contrast in emotion. Yeah, is huge. It's huge because one in one environment, I'm calm, collected. In the other environment, I could shoot off a off on a, on a tangent and that I don't know why that is sometimes I sit back and relax and uh, sit back and think I should say and go what, why, what where did that come from why did I do that and I don't believe I'm the only one I know. no <laughs> gosh gosh no my husband and I were having a, a discussion <laughs> the other day mm. and uh it was getting pretty heated and he just goes don't courageous conversations <laughs> me and I'm like well yeah it's kind of what we're doing well, we're having a courageous conversation so why are the stakes higher at home? I think it's because you've got more invested, yeah. but you've also got less to hide. So you can show the vulnerability. You've got kids as well. You know, your kids hold it together all day at school Yeah, and they get home and um, my kids are the same. They fall to pieces sometimes. They're a slinky. They can't sit up on their chair. It's because you're, you're in a safe space and you are at your most vulnerable. It's but an it, unconditional love piece too. I think there's yeah. an element of you always know that these people, well, you hope that these people will always be there. Yeah, yeah. And I think as long as uh, you can learn from something, and this is another piece, so with a courageous conversation, you want to have a resolution or a solution. Like there needs to be an end point or a finish line or some kind of direction. I think at home because we're so reactive rather than proactive, you don't go into a a discussion in your home life with a plan usually. Mm. You just kind of ad lib. Um, But you need to kind of get to an end point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, much easier. Well, there are a lot of people that do, do. but then they're the ones that have the communication problems because they're never really having real conversations. It's all It's all structured. Yeah. Yeah. You can never get into the deep and meaningful stuff. Yeah. So you mentioned before about you put your work face on and it's almost surface level. Does that go against the grain of building trusting relationships within the workplace. So you would think that if you want to build trusting relationships, you need to go deep, you need to go to the top of that pyramid sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's a few different things. So I think, you know, we're also at the end of the day, and this is my own personal opinion on this, you know, we're all there to be paid to for what we do. We go to work and we get paid and we're, mm. you know, rewarded every fortnight or every month depending on what the cycle is. So we are actually there to perform at a certain level in a certain way and we are, many leaders are actually responsible for a lot of people and, that you know, they might have budgets that they're responsible for as well and pieces of work that they're responsible for. So there is a different level of responsibility and I think, yes, we do need to build those lasting relationships and we can do that in different ways as opposed to oversharing and there's this uh, I. I think it's a bit of an untruth around authenticity, like, mm. you know, hashtag authentic yeah. <laughs> um, does not actually mean sharing everything. You know, your coworkers are your coworkers, your team is your team. They're not your best friends. Yeah. Sometimes they are. I mean, I ended up marrying my uh, one of my <laughs> coworkers yeah. from many years ago. So, yeah. you know, he turned out to be all right. Yeah. Um, Touch wood. <laughs> still, still going strong. Um, but I think one of those things is, that you're not going to get on with everyone and you don't actually need to show every single facet of your personality and every single facet of your life to still be able to show up with vulnerability and show up with authenticity for your team. It's around acting within your own integrity and being able to connect at that level that is genuine. Yeah, I agree. The, well, there's some really fantastic leaders out in the world. There are some really less effective leaders in the world. We often hear more about the less effective leaders. Mm. We, we hear more about what they're not doing. How does 
someone who answers to a leader yeah. have those courageous conversations. Mm. We do a lot of work with leaders and yeah. having, you know, sort of downward-facing conversations. But how does someone who is working under a less effective leader yeah. turn to that person who may have an ego uh, or probably does have a yeah, type, more often some, than not yeah, has ego. some type of ego. How, how do they approach that conversation saying, look, I'm really not being treated the way I should be treated or whatever it might be. Yeah. How do we approach that? Situation? The old managing up situation. Yeah. And I think this is, uh, this is a really great question and something that definitely needs to happen more of, but a lot of it comes down to the individual scenario. So mm. some leaders are very, they do need to, a lot of leadership work. Um, and depending on the vulnerability and the type of situations that you're in in the workplace, it's always important to be safe and make sure that you're going in there with a resolution solution or kind of end game. So if you are reporting to a leader who maybe perhaps needs some work, mm-hmm. you need to show up as mm. a leader yourself. And I don't mean leader by position. I mean like leadership as in your mindset, you know, how are you actually going to perform? Are you taking 100% responsibility for your role in yeah, the situation? Yeah, you can't just go in there and whinge. You need to... It's not like you, you, you. It's, hey, I've noticed this. How about we try that? Um, And depending on the type of relationship you have, if it's already a bit icy, you're going to want to try some free framing. So, hey, look, you know, I really want to talk to you about the way that we're communicating together. Can we do this? And it's not going to be a single conversation that happens um, just in isolation. It'll it'll have to be built over time, the trust built over time. That's a good point. I think because most people think of you think of courageous conversations as right. I'm going to plan a situation. I'm going to plan a conversation. I'm going to give this person a performance review, whatever it is. I'm going to have this conversation with them. My thoughts is that these type of conversations should just happen every day. They yeah. should, you should be open to yep. providing feedback at the click of a finger, really, or or yeah. even just general chat. Well, that's a lot of the um, Kim Scott work with the radical candor is like open, honest and frank communication should happen all the time. And if we have a relationship where you've built that with your team and you can give and receive feedback that's both positive and negative or criticism that's actually going to help you develop and evolve in some way, then that's really good. That's the open, honest and frank. Mm. And then courageous conversations shouldn't really be happening or if they are happening, then they shouldn't be a surprise. But what often happens is we get this... um, into this cycle where we don't want to make anyone upset as in we don't want to make them cry so we don't have a conversation until the performance has gone so far down the gurgler that we're like, okay, well, we're going to bring them in and this is going to be performance management and off we go and we sit down in an office with someone and they're like, oh, you've never told me that that was actually a problem and then that's when the waterworks happen because it's, you know, it's literally a surprise attack on someone. Yes. I worked in, I've worked somewhere before, I won't say where, where someone who was working underneath underneath me, I guess, uh, or part of my team I was supervising, uh, came to me and he says, look, I've got a problem with such and such. Um, do you mind speaking to them about this because they're making me feel however? Yeah. And my response was I can have that conversation. However, you will get more out of this conversation if you have it. Yeah. Let's plan on on how you would go about it. I guess my question from here is, why do people avoid these situations all the time? Why do they avoid having that conversation and want to deflect it onto someone else to have the conversation for them? It's the icky. So it comes back to the stories that we're telling ourselves. I don't want to do it because they're going to cry. Mm. Or more often than not, they know that there's something that they could have done, that they've been responsible in some way in the lead up to it and not taking responsibility for themselves. 
as well. So if you've got someone that's asking you to have a conversation with someone else to smooth it over, perhaps if it's totally out of line for them to do it, but more often than not, it's because they're just passing the buck, which is why HR usually get the call up from someone and they're like, can you just do the performance yeah. management bit for us here? And So where's the fine line though? So where's the line that, that is drawn between whether a leader should have that conversation with another staff? So say it's between two staff members that are having some, some issues yeah. within a team. So there's a leader of a team and he's got two people underneath. He or she have two people working within their team Yeah, and those two people have issues. Yeah. Do you know it's interesting? So years ago, about 10 years ago, I um, this is just after the GFC when I was working in finance, I was promoted because that's what happens when your team performs really well. Yeah. Get promoted, yeah, yeah. Thanks, team. Well, you've got to be half decent working too, I think. Well, I mean, <laughs> they they can have the limelight for that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I walked into an office and it was like fourteen women, and they were super. You, it was like a toxic environment, yeah. is what you'd say. And I was called in to uh, fix it, and they were like not happy with me, not happy with each other, hated their old boss, and you know, I was in my mid twenties and my ponytail, and I was ready to conquer the world. <laughs> And they weren't happy to see me at all. So and just it, for the record, she doesn't have a ponytail. No, no, no ponytail now. I'm, not, I'm out, you know. Um, and what was happening was there was a lot of infighting within like peer-to-peer. Yeah. Um, and I came in to, you know, fix this situation uh, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, well, maybe just don't be rude to each other as yeah. a starting point. Yeah. But there was a lot of baggage, that you know, leftover baggage that had happened and the previous manager hadn't done anything about it so there's a lot of culture issues which you know you're you guys are all across so yeah while I did try and get them to talk to each other it ended up there was one incident that ended up in like a hair pulling slapping slapping type thing I wish I was joking but I am not um and yeah I did as the leader and as the manager of that team I had to intervene for a bit of like yeah you know you need to come in here and this is how it's going to be moving forward um and did have to be quite direct in my communication Mm. with that because things had got completely out of control and their infighting was impacting the entire team. So where's the fine line? I think When the argy-bargy starts. Well, I think the fine line is how disruptive is it to the rest of the team, how disruptive is it to the work program or whatever work it is that you have to be doing, uh, that you're meant to be doing and delivering, and then, you know, how much of an influence can you actually have? So are people, are they aware of it? uh, Is it causing a bit of like the group thing or the gossip down the Mm. hallway? Yeah, absolutely, you need to intervene. Start with them trying to sort it out themselves and perhaps you need to be the mediator or, you know, the referee, depending on how toxic it's got. Um, but, yeah, our, our role as leaders is definitely to make sure that our team is working with, you know, synergy and making sure that they're performing to the best that they can. Yeah. We, Michelle and I, Fiona, actually worked with a client once before where we asked the question to a group of people and then this was across the whole organisation. So we, we ran a whole series of workshops across the whole organisation and each, each workshop had about 60 or 70 people in it. And we asked the question, we said, and we did a little section on feedback, we asked the question, can everyone put their hand up if they like rece- uh, giving feedback? Mm. And I think there might have been, you know, maybe one or two hands every single time. So every single workshop, one or two hands went up. Then we followed up with the question, how many of you like receiving feedback? And I think I'd say 90% of the hands went up every single time for every single workshop. So then we posed the question, if you like receiving feedback, 
so much. Why don't we give more of it and get become better skilled at providing feedback when we know that everyone generally looks at the stats in the room, we know that generally everyone likes it. So it then goes into how do you build that skill set? Yeah. So skill set of providing feedback and having these conversations is really important. What are some of the ways that you believe people can improve these skills? Like if, is there a framework that you follow? Is there some sort of uh, model that people can, you know, the, is there a bouncing ball? Do you, do you not promote the bouncing ball stuff? I actually prefer a bouncy ball. So as you know, I like to wing it. I'm very much an off-the-cuff type operator, um, but that doesn't work for everyone. Like a lot of people do need some structure. So when it comes to feedback, and you're right, people love getting it. Mm. Um, they don't really love giving it or they don't know how to give it. And the same thing happens for help. You know, if someone asked you for help, you would 100% help them. But how often do you actually ask for help oh, yourself? Great, yeah. What we would love to do for someone else, we don't do for ourselves. Um, so when it comes to feedback, I think it's really important to, you know, check permission um, depending on what your, what your culture is within your workplace, but say, hey, can I give you some feedback? Because perhaps, and, it, and it, timing really is a thing for this as well, when you're giving the feedback. Mm. So say someone. Um, yeah, don't. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's head's on fire, don't. Yeah. 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 Let, let me give you some feedback. <laughs> but say someone has done, uh, you know, one of your team members have, has worked really hard. They've presented something to the board. Um, they were under a lot of pressure to do it. You knew that they were nervous. They were really leaning into their discomfort. And they did well, but you've got some feedback to give them. Don't ask them as they're walking out of the room if you can give them some feedback because they're already, well, not disengaged, but, you know, they've come off this high yeah. of doing something that was quite tricky. Yep. The time for feedback is not immediate. Like, you know, give them, give them a day to yeah, process and download. So when it's high-stakes situations where you want to give someone some feedback, probably give it a bit. Um, but if it's feedback around something that you want that's a repeated behaviour, then ask permission, hey, can I give you some feedback, yes or no, and then be like, okay, what I saw, so actually name it what it was, the behaviour, um, and what you liked about it. And the more specific that you can be, the better. So at the moment we're all working from home and working remotely, so it's really hard to see behaviour. But say you're, um, you get an email back or a paperback from one of your team and it's really good or part of, it is, part of it is something that you like, be really isolating on that and say, I really liked this because of X, Y, and Z. And the more specific you can get and on the receiving end, you're like, okay, they liked that. I'm going to keep doing more of that. It's huge timing. I just I hadn't ever thought about how critical timing is. I think I, I think it's one of those things that I've always just assumed. No, I better not say anything right now. But I've never thought about it as a thing that timing yeah. is a thing. Yeah. You you touched on right now, right in the world that we're living yeah. in at the moment and COVID, the COVID world. How, how does how do we go about feedback? Uh, in this world, is it is, is Zoom an appropriate or Zoom or Teams an appropriate platform to provide feedback? Yeah, so I think it's even more important that we're giving feedback to people via Zoom. And I mean, there's not a lot of options at the moment. If you're social distancing and you are working remotely, you know, there's not a whole lot of options. Email, probably not great, particularly when everyone is on Zoom. Providing feedback in a team environment, if it's something that needs improvement, probably also not a great option. But yeah, definitely on Zoom. Um, again, seek permission, book it in with uh, your team and say, hey, look, I really want to give you some feedback on this last paper that you wrote. Can we make a time? And it, then actually go through it together in a collaborative way. So, yeah, it is slightly different and not quite as instant, but the more that you can do face-to-face, -face, so if you can do a Zoom video call, 
then that's perfect. If you can't video for whatever reason, pick up the phone and actually have a conversation so that you can recognize when someone's tone is changing, if there's any pauses, you know, if they've got any questions that they need to clarify as well. Mm. How critical is, is communication in a world where we're probably more connected now than ever, but then again, more disconnected and, and we are creating more stories in our head? This is a hard one for me to explain, try to get it, put it into words, but you, you look at someone, someone's profile on Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever like that and you make assumptions and, and we're not, we shouldn't, we're not perfect, but we make assumptions and we can probably get frustrated. So I have, actually have a rule. I just hide everyone on Facebook so I don't ever see anything and I don't get frustrated by it. Like, and it was a blanket rule that I made a long time ago. But there are lots of, uh, lots of, problems that start by people's personal lives and then people tell themselves stories and therefore there's never a clear line of communication between and how someone might feel. How do we become more comfortable with those topics, I guess, in the sense that we're mixing the the corporate world with the personal world? Yeah. Well, I mean, we've all got a choice, right? You need mm. to be mostly an adult. We're, we're talking about adults here. So yeah. what you put online is your business. So if mm. you don't want people to see it in your workplace that you're also friends with on Facebook, then don't put it on there. And if you need to have it, is that where we're going with this? Well, or so the conversations most, we're not having. Yeah, okay. Or the conversations we are having. It's more about you, you, you start working with someone, you become quite close with them, and I would say nine times out of ten people at each other on Facebook, right, yeah. if you're working in the same team. Problems can start. From Facebook posts alone uh, without anything ever going wrong in work. It's just like, oh, they always put food up or they always put posts of they're all traveling here and then all of a sudden this this sort of resentment grows and therefore, I don't know, how do people overcome that, that sort of uh, build up of, of, of knowledge and how do they then give feedback according to something that shouldn't even really bother them? Well, that is a very good question. I actually haven't come across that um, issues stemming from social media around that type of thing. But again, we're in charge of what we consume. So if you don't like it, what you just said, you hide all people on Facebook. What do you do on Facebook? (laughs) I follow news articles and 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 leaders of the world and stuff like that. I I use it as an information source as opposed to a a people following thing. So you've made an active choice there, not to. Subject yourself to that type of thing. We've all got a choice. Yeah, of what I, I just, we consume. I think I went off on tangent a little bit. I think it was a it was a a, a team that I worked in once, ah. and um, so there was uh, some Facebook stuff going on, and just created an absolute nightmare within the team. Right, and at the, and the leader at the time, I wasn't a leader in the team, and the leader at the time just didn't handle it very well. And I just I, it was a curious one because it's a a personal it's world. It's a free platform. It's a free platform. It's yeah. a personal world mingling in with the corporate world and it just didn't blend. It did not blend and, yeah, I still to this day, uh, I still to this day always think about that scenario because yeah. it was a very toxic place at right. the time. Yeah. No, I haven't come across um, yeah. I haven't come across that but do you yeah. know that it's probably likely that there will be another wave of that, like, you know, social media is here. Oh, especially now. Um, and I think it's really important that we encourage appropriate use of it. And if you don't want your teams, like if you're not friends, then don't be friends. Mm. On Facebook, it doesn't, you have yeah. a choice to accept oh, or decline. Like you said, so we're all adults. It's not we are fun. all adults. Um, but no, I haven't come across that, but that is a really good point that you make. I have to 
do some research, I think, and come up with the courageous conversations when uh, Facebook could, I, gets out of control. Well, I think that's my point. You can't go to someone and say, well, look, what you're putting on Facebook doesn't really appease me. <laughs> well, <laughs> but then I've had instances. So this is uh, back in the banking days as yeah. well. Someone, and she was quite new and quite young, <laughs> she said with her ponytail. She had a ponytail. She had a ponytail. But she took a photo with herself in front of a safe had money in it okay totally inappropriate for the workplace she thought it was like you know cool really cool but you know i put my leadership hat on so i have had to have this conversation was like you know there's security risk you've taken photos you're not meant to have your phone in the office and all these types of things so yeah yeah, that's an issue that was it was a big issue really big problem she got in quite a bit of strife about that i saw an example actually i went to a security Night. There was a, a oh. it was a cyber security night. A hosting was actually it was a whiskey event with a with an element of uh, uh-huh. cyber security. You know, yeah. they mix the two. Whiskey and cyber. Whiskey and cyber. It was a good night. And the guys were talking. The cyber security guys got up and they gave a little presentation. And they said that a big problem in today's society, and we are digressing massively here, but a big t- problem in today's society is selfies. Right? Yeah. And people are posting selfies of themselves in front of their work, you know, work life or what, hashtag work life or whatever. And they've got post-it notes with passwords oh, on, in the no. background. Yeah, and so hackers are getting into their systems and stuff like that. So as a leader, I guess the way we can put this from a conversations point of view yeah. is, you know, think about what you're putting up and Well, I think online. that's probably yeah. an induction. Put that in your induction piece. Absolutely. Appropriate, appropriate social media. Get Gabriella to run a session on appropriate <laughs> yeah, social media um, use in the workplace. But, yeah, those kinds of things, I mean, Obviously, the the um <laughs> the whiskey night that was disguised as a cybersecurity would be yeah. saying, "Don't write your password down anyway. Also, don't put it on display, and then thirdly, oh, yeah. don't take a photo of it." So, yeah, there's there's definitely going to be some things that come out over time, and you know, you see it, it ends up hitting the media these days anyway when people do stupid stuff. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, a lot of articles, funny articles going around. So, the importance. I think we all know the importance of courageous conversations. What happens to teams who don't have this type of environment? They don't have Mm. the value set built in that they can have these conversations. Yeah, so what normally happens, and I call this the incubator of resentment, um, it's sort of a cycle that teams go through. So if we're not uh, having regular feedback as in open, honest and frank conversations and letting people know when perhaps they're nudging up against any of our boundaries, we don't have any of those conversations and then something happens and we don't say anything and we go, oh, I should have said something but I haven't and then it happens again and then we become acutely aware of it. So what we start looking for and what we start focusing on is the poor behaviour or, mm-hmm. you know, to be one particular person and the classic example is of this is um, you might have someone in your team that always leaves their coffee, I just said it myself, always, that leaves their coffee cup in the sink and you don't say anything to them and the next day you go in there and there's two coffee cups in the sink. You're like, it's oh. just a coffee cup. Yeah. <laughs> it's just <laughs> a kidding. coffee cup. We're not, um, not going to make a big deal out of this, you know, whatever, I'll just wash it. Mm. You don't say anything to the person that nah, left it in there. Don't wash it. And then the next day or the next week, you know, there's another coffee cup in there and you're like, you know what, Jane, who always leaves her coffee cups bloody in the Jane. sink, bloody Jane, <laughs> she is really a bit of a grub. And you start telling yourself these stories in it. You know, oh. She just thinks that everyone's yeah. here to wash her dishes and she's like so lazy and she's already had, you know, we start getting all this judgy who stuff. Do, who happening. she thinks she is. Yeah, and then we walk past Jane's desk and we're like, you know what, 
Jane's got some crumbs on her desk. <laughs> and then we go, Jane is an absolute slob. I can't imagine what her home life must be like. She must be an absolute, you know, pigsty. Yeah. And we start doing all this stuff and then, um, you know, we'll go be in the kitchen one day with our colleagues in this morning tea and you're like, have you guys noticed that Jane actually, she never washes her cups and she leaves crumbs everywhere and she's just a bit of a grub. And then, you know, your friends that you're talking to in morning tea, you're like, no, I hadn't noticed, but now that you've mentioned yeah. it, I'm going to keep an eye out you don't notice for you it. Mean, yeah. And then you've got a little bit of a posse happening and then they're starting to notice this poor behaviour as well. Still no one said anything to Jane. Jane's got no idea. And uh, this keeps happening and keeps happening and keeps happening. And then one day uh, you're having a morning tea, half the team knows about Jane and her, her prolific cup non-washing activities. This, of course, is a... Meanwhile, the, the sink's full of cups. The and sink's full of cups. Crumbs and, everywhere. And uh, you've just had it. Like, you know, you've yeah. had a bad morning with the kids. They've been slinkies. You haven't found any shoes. It's the story of my life. Um, haven't found any shoes. And uh, Jane's come in and not only has she left her uh, her cup in the sink, she's left the Tupperware in the fridge and you're like, for God's sakes, right, I'm going to say something to Jane. So off you go to Jane and you really let Jane have it. And you're like, you know, we wash our cups in here and you don't leave your Tupperware in the fridge and everything gets completely blown out of control. And on the receiving end, Jane's like, whoa, let's just where, cool our jets a little. Where, where has this, this all come from? Because at no stage has anyone talked to Jane yeah. around this type it's of thing. So it's the build up in it really. Yeah, and, you know, this could be um, I've used cups, which is one example, but it could be that someone cuts you off in a meeting all the time or someone steals your ideas or pitches your ideas as their own or takes all of the credit for the work that you've done as a team or uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of little incidents. I had this exact same scenario happen to me. Jane? Not Jane. It was someone who constantly uh, was a leader of a team that constantly referred to was I. I did this. Yeah, I did that yeah. instead of the team. Like yeah. it's one that I think is one that you kind of hear, would hear quite a fair bit. Yeah. But if you knock it on the head straight away, it goes away. And, yeah. and that probably, oh, shoot, I didn't even realise. Yeah, sorry. No, I didn't yeah. mean that at all. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely the awareness and it is one of those things. And then when you start noticing it and you tell someone and then everyone starts noticing it and all of a sudden it's everywhere, you know, yeah. a particular activation system kicks in. Yeah, this person is a self-absorbed. Yeah, I'm not going to, you know, work with them anymore because this person doesn't give me any credit and they just think they're running the whole show and don't they know how hard I work and that they weren't here mm. until, you know, 7 o'clock last night. The stories that we tell ourselves. The stories that we tell ourselves. And uh, meanwhile, the leader who is I, I, I just has no self-awareness, doesn't think that way at all. It's just a language loop that they've happened to get themselves into. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because you get it's, – it's a, it's a re- revelation for some of these people yeah. when they do get told. I was that person. Ah, yeah. there you go. So just to throw a spanner in the works – very early on in my career, uh, I joined a team and, you know, I'm up and coming. I'm in, I'm Did you am- have a ponytail? Ambitious. <laughs> Probably had the undercut. Is that the, is that, <laughs> is that the alternative for, <laughs> for the boy? Um, I uh, was re- really ambitious and I guess we'll bring in some new ways of thinking. I came into a team that was sort of operating but still back in 1985, right? It was, it was a few years behind and I thought I can introduce some new things here and then I, 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 I. And it wasn't until one of the old fellas in the team, he just sort of threw it all. It was a throwaway comment and he's the nicest guy in the world. And it was a throwaway comment. He's like, then it's always I coming out of your mouth. And I went, oh, is it? No, nah, I use, no. Right? And, and I did not even notice yep. it. And I and I, now I'm one of those people that always, you know, pick wee, up wee, and, wee. and, and yep. provide or provide that 
feedback to others as well because it was such a moment for me to to actually realize well hang on i can i can i can affect the way people think about me in this situation so self-awareness is also yeah a critical piece in all this as well and i imagine most people that you speak to that you pick that up with are mortified to hear that that's what they're actually absolutely saying yeah 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 there is a time and a place for I. Oh, for if sure. If you've done something you know, and you're proud of it, then you yeah. say, I did this. But and if it's your own personal opinion, that's important correct. that you don't. But uh, as a united front, team. if you're going in as a united front, you don't say, yeah. I did this and the team did this. It's yeah. Like, I, yeah it's if you're, you happen to be the leader important. that's representing the team, then it's the Spot team. On. And uh, yeah. So is there a difference between feedback and courageous conversations? Yeah, so feedback happens first or should happen first. So feedback is sort of like the the little things that you do. It should really be daily if you're working, you know, working full time and working mm. every day. Feedback some of that stuff that's just like on the regular, off the cuff, here it is. Yep, that's that's great. I really like how you did da 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 da. Or do you know what would be good for next time is if we did it at so and then feedback has to be something that you can correct or improve or Okay. So that's the everyday conversation thing that we're talking about as well. Yeah. That opens the door to the more courageous conversations. Yeah, so courageous conversations is usually when there hasn't been any of that feedback or there hasn't been any conversation prior. And this is performance management, courageous conversation stuff, um, where there hasn't been anything prior and the courageous conversation is like, okay, we're going to have a serious conversation about this, a bit more structure. There's going to be some kind of resolution, solution, real, yeah, gets more serious. So if you you give enough feedback Mm. consistently on a daily basis, can you avoid... Yeah, it's the prevention. So it's the whole incubator of resentment thing. So it's prevention over cure. Yeah, wow. So courageous, so good. I mean, if everyone could read Kim Scott's Radical Candor, they they should definitely read that. It would change the way that we communicate at work. Come back to my mission piece. You know, if we can actually get a handle on the way that we communicate with people and get really comfortable being like, you know what you did there? Not great because you crossed a boundary, whether it was a work boundary or personal boundary. Um, and being really respectful to each other in a way that means that we're all trying to do the right thing. Courageous conversations should be come less and less mm. in the workplace and it'll only be if there's some kind of monumental stuff up that a courageous conversation has to come into place. Yeah. Or then we get the, the reverse side of the courageous conversations where it's like, well, things are going really well. My next nervous thing that I need courage for is asking for a promotion or my next nervous thing that I need courage for is to admit that I've made this huge mistake and how do I go about that in an effective way? Yeah, my mind's going to a few books that I've read and it's the Ray Dalio Principles. Have you read that? No. We'll get on to it. Is that? It's a ripper. I'll write that down. Ray Dalio Principles. So Ray Dalio is one of the owners of the, the, the founders of one of the largest hedge funds in the world, managing like a portfolio of 100 billion, if not more. I, can't, I don't remember that. It's it's a ridiculously large, and they use a term called radical transparency, similar oh, to oh yeah, that's good. Re, uh, similar to the radical candor, so they avoid the courageous conversations because they use the radical candor approach. I guess because they have the radical transparency. Yeah, everything's on the table from day one. Yeah, right? this is the way we operate. Yeah, it is an expectation. Yeah, that you will have these conversations should they arise. It is, it is uh, an expectation that you will live to your own values, that you yeah. will live to the team's values and you will, and we will hold you accountable if you don't. It becomes expectation and the transparency is on the it's, – it's brilliant. It's and brilliant I imagine muscle. they've got a high-performing culture have, as well, well they, and they can they, do all well, sorts of stuff. Well, they grew from yeah. nothing to one of the largest head funds yeah. in the world and, yeah. Ray, and Ray's think, had that uh, 
he's had that approach from the start. And the other one is Creative Inc., which is one of Michelle Holland's favorite books. She got me onto it. So Creative Inc. is the guys who created Pixar. Ah, because she's got Culture Inc. Culture Inc. So yeah. yeah, so Creative Inc. is the guys who created Pixar, and they talk about when creating uh, when creating Toy Story is an example in the in the book. It's brilliant for the Disney lovers if you want to read Creative Inc. Uh, well, well, Disney. Own, oh, they're now one. Yeah, they yeah. own Pixar. Um, so the role was that when you delivered a product, and the product was the first cut of the movie or of the of the animation or the first cut of the white paper or whatever whatever it might be that yeah. you're delivering, you sit together in a room and you provide that open and honest feedback, and the person who's receiving that feedback needs to be aware that they might not like. What they're going yes. to hear. And that's their culture. That's yep. the culture that they work in is that you may not like this feedback, but we're going to give it to you because this is what we need to do. And that's why they've got hit after hit after hit. So one, yeah. two, three, inside out, all these sort of incredible. I love all inside these, out. Yeah. Inside out's the smartest cartoon I've ever seen. It's so good, isn't it? It's brilliant. The movie for everyone that's listening. It's yeah. a Pixar movie around your feelings and it's from a little girl's perspective and yeah. the feelings and the emotions are characters the, the inside of feelings is it it's there's joy s- sadness fear sadness anger oh, anger, anger and disgust um, and disgust yeah, yeah. It's so funny and memories yeah it's good and memories yeah it's the best so yeah i think that so this whole culture mm. of providing feedback i guess yeah. is where we're getting to here can completely remove the need for the really tough conversation uh, obviously there's always going to be the odd on one here and there, but if we can pro- create a culture of, of of radical transparency, yeah, then and radical candor, then yeah, I think so. And do you know there's that uh, the quote around success leaves clues, right? So if we start looking at the businesses that are excelling, and a lot of them are the Silicon Valley, you know, mm. the Googles of the world, if you start looking into how they actually operate, it all comes down to the communication. Like they've got really clear, open communication lines, yeah, because yeah. they don't have time to get caught up in all of the performance management stuff and the, the politics of it all. So they just have the conversation and move on, have the Absolutely. conversation and move on. If you could have a tough conversation with one, of the, with one particular leader in the world at the moment. Oh, I read this question. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to go with this. <laughs> so all right, well, let's talk about Donald Trump, okay, yeah. or that type of leader, mm. the egotistical, uh, self-absorbed, Whatever that type of leader, I'm yeah. not going to go into the politics of it all. How do you approach someone like that to have that conversation? Is one my first question. My mm. second question is, do you even bother? Oh, well, I mean, if they're not running a country, it's probably a bit easier mm. to approach it and have that conversation. So, if you take like a at the head, say you've got a CEO of a company who has Trump qualities, mm. hopefully they've got a board that can step in place and sort of say, hey is a bit of a self-reflection piece. We're getting this feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully if they've been promoted to that kind of position that they are getting 360 feedback from their peers and then taking that on board. If they're not and say you happen to be um, one of the exec directors or something like that and your CEO's behaviour and attitude towards leadership needs some work, you're going to need to have some tough conversations mm. with them. Um, and the thing with that is, yes, there's definitely going to be ego involved, um, you know, if we go back to Brené Brown's work again, there's going to be some shame shields. So more often than not, people that are 
behaving in a way that, um, and people know, you know, we know what a good leader is. We know at least, you know, a handful of qualities. And if we're not doing those and you're not self-aware about it, but you're also probably hiding something. So there's probably a bit of shame work going on in there. There'd be Mm -hmm. the ego that's gotten into the way. Um, So really having those conversations around what it is that you want to stand for as a company, what you want to stand for as a leader, how you want to be perceived. But, yeah, it'll be a tough conversation. should definitely call me. I'll help you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's one of those. Leaders in that. But I think the the other thing is though, at what point do you have that conversation with that leader? At what point do you stop banging your head against the wall if it does, if things don't change? If things don't change. If you, you follow all the approaches that you need to and the processes and the bouncing balls and and the asking for permission, you do all of that. Yeah. And nothing changes with your own leader, with the leader that you, you're reporting to. Yeah, yeah so well, is it like yeah, so a general manager reporting to a CEO or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. Well, I think if you've exhausted all of the tools that you've got available to yourself to you, and you've exhausted all of the options that there are in terms of communication channels and trying to have the conversations, then I'd be having a real hard look at whether or not your values align with the company mm. and whether or not your self care and your own resilience is worth staying Mm -hmm. there because it's going to be an uphill battle and you know when we know that there's this kind of turbulence and there's this kind of uh distrust within the the management team or the leadership team you're not going to be feeling great you're going to be going home feeling stressed all the time there's going to be a lot of stories that you're telling yourself Mm -hmm. as well cut ties you know you can't Mm. you can't change everyone what you can do is change the own situations that you're in and if it means that you are in a situation where you're having to deal with someone who's not great and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried you're in control of the choices you make. Yeah. I think that's critical. Most people, a lot of people are not true to their own values. Are they in a situation like that? Because things like money, mortgage, uh, kids, school, all that sort of stuff comes into play. Well, do you know what's really interesting just on that? So I asked my community just last week around what their measures of success were. And perhaps this is a little bit different because we're right in the midst of COVID and everyone's sort of coming out of lockdown, particularly here in Adelaide. But overwhelmingly, and I got a massive response from what people use as their measures of success, is um, being able to practice peacefulness, going home to a family that I love, having quality time, Mm. having a um, support system around me, um, having something that's outside of the workplace were all people's measures of success. There was very few people that measured their success through work. So whether there's been a shift, and I suspect there is, I'm still doing some yeah. Some work on that, but I think we're becoming more and more aware of what it is that actually makes up life and it's not going to work every day, banging your head on a wall, trying to do the best that you can with what you've got and not getting any. Correct. What's a, I look at success as almost like a pie chart. Yeah. There's just different elements yeah. to success and how fulfilled you are in each of those segments. The wheel of life, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So. One last question before we get into the, my favourite part, Your which is fire. the rapid fire question. The a, a, a takeaway for anyone listening to this podcast. Yeah. What's one bouncing ball method? We've used something like Biffo before. We Biff, you know, let's not bring back the Biff. It's sort of behaviour impact. Yeah. Feelings and future. Like, yeah. what is the behaviour? What is the impact? 
yeah. what feelings, how you made you feel and what how we can change it in the future. What what do you tend to use? For courageous conversations. Yeah. So I go, yeah, get your stories. Well, find your facts mm-hmm. first, like gather what it is, you know, the whole uh, is that true question. So some self-coaching questions around yeah. there. Getting your story straight in mm-hmm. your head. Uh, begin with the end in mind. So where are you actually taking this conversation? What do you want the outcome to be? And then you actually need to plan. So if you're having a courageous conversations, you do actually need to have a bit of work that goes into it. So mm. planning what you're going to say, how you're going to present it, where you want to lead someone, and then go for it. You know, courageous conversations, you, they're not always going to feel comfortable, but you are going to get better at them. And recognising that the uncomfortableness is the bit that happens just before you get to the good stuff and then being able to lean into that. Beautiful. All right. Rapid fire questions. They're not so these ones. I try to keep them rapid fire, but they are less rapid. We end up talking because we talk about books, right? And I'll just talk for an hour on uh, books. So we're already up to an hour. We are okay. okay. So favorite book on courageous conversations. This is a specific question. What's your favorite book? Oh, do you know it is actually Radical Candor? It has to be. It has to you be. I talking love about it. it. Well, I know. I even got you a copy of it. <laughs> you did. Um, Thank you very I much. I love Radical Candor, and it's one of those things that I think. Oops, we're talking about it again one of those things you know success is showing up in ways that you know wherever it is there's clues yeah so kim scott's got like a plethora of uh success a successful trail and it's all come down to she's broken down this method of radical candor open honest and frank conversations yes perfect so what's one other than okay other than brene's stuff the dare to lead and and kim's radical candor what's one book that you have recommended to more people well, it's actually one that I'm reading at the moment and I'm not reading it. It's an audible and it is called The Secret Code of Success by mm. Noah St. John. I think you would really like it actually. The Secret Code of Success. Secret Code of Success. And it is around uh, surrounding yourself with reflective friendly mirrors in terms of getting to your true authenticity or your authentic self when there's not anyone else's opinions or um, I guess anything else getting in the way. It's really cool. So like a Buddhist approach? Is that the sort of angle on it or not? No, it's around self-reflection and self-worth okay. and just getting like deep, you know, like I say, leadership's an inside-out job, so it's really getting to the crux of, you know, who you are at your most core. It's good. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Teleportation. Oh, how good. <laughs> I reckon that's up on my list. I'm going to write that down. Teleportation. <laughs> oh, I've wanted to teleport for years. How good would travel be? How no. good would it be? <laughs> right now probably not so much. Yeah. How much time are we saving not commuting? Though? So, but is it a superpower? Well, I don't know anyone can do it. Do you? Yeah, I know, but superpowers save people, don't they? <laughs> yeah. This just do helps they? you get other places. What does places. X-ray vision do? Well, yeah, if there was an emergency. No, there's an X-Men te- guy. I can't remember I could teleport name. to Yeah, it. it's teleportation. Yeah. Well, I mean, and he becomes a really X-Men. good fighter and then he teleports. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we're going to there's around. An X- <laughs> if there's an X-Man, then it's definitely it's a, a superpower. superpower. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've got to find his name. He's like a beast. Is he the beast? No, someone. Anyway. What's one of the things that most annoys you? Oh, good question. People chewing with their mouth open. With, with chewing gum or in, in general? Just in general. Yeah, that annoys me too. Yeah. And I reckon I do that. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon I annoy myself. <laughs> <laughs> Self-awareness. <laughs> Very good. And my favourite question, what is your favourite dad joke? Knock, knock. Who's there? Boo. Boo. <laughs> no need to cry. It's only a joke. <laughs> That's horrible. My kids use that one. I knew that was coming. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ali. You have been amazing to chat Thank to. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Not a problem at all. Ali Nitschke, where do we find you? 
Uh, I hang out on LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn or uh, uh, Facebook or my website. Excellent. Your website? Madeformore.com.au. Perfect. Thank you very much. This is Creating Synergy signing out. Cheers. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump onto the Synergy IQ Facebook page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.